Ephesians 5, enough there to spend two chapters or two Sundays on. Paul starts Ephesians 5, and if you look at the chapter in your, in your bulletins, Paul starts Ephesians 5 by saying, Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us up for us. Continues, let no one deceive with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon those. Therefore do not become partners with them. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The problem in Ephesus was twofold. False teachers people astray. We know them to be the Nicolaitans. These false teachers taught that anyone in Christ could do whatever they wanted to because they were free from the law. In other words, the false teachers taught it didn't matter how you walk, just as long as you say. Part of the letter to the Ephesians, Paul is talking about who we are in Christ, our confession. He has set us with God in the high places through his death and his resurrection. In the second part, remember, he's talking about our walk with the Lord. So they had a problem with walking. They had a problem with walking because they were being taught by false teachers that really it didn't matter. You didn't have to follow the law as long as you believed. So we come in contact with this again in the book of Revelation in chapter 2, when, John, when the word of the Lord is writing to the seven churches and to the church of Ephesus in chapter 2, the Lord writes, But I have this against you, Ephesus, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. The parable of the sower, you might remember from Matthew or Mark or Luke. In the parable of the sower, some fell on ground and it sprouted up and flourished and it grew. The Lord. Fell on other ground where it started and came up quickly, but then weeds came along and choked it out. So the faith was lost. So in Ephesus, people were quick, but not to walk. And false teachers took advantage of that and choked out the faith of many. And this is warning in Revelation, but Paul's writing to them now about these things. They taught that people's lives for living in sexual immorality and pagan temple orgies, coveting the wealth of others, crude talking, filthiness, etc., just as long as they believed. Their first love was Christ, and that faith that they had in that he was resurrection and the life, but that love was not nourished, and their walk following false prophets choked out by them. Well, as we've seen, Paul is all about confessing Christ and walking in love. And so in this whole scenario for Ephesus, walking in Christ, specific problems in the Ephesian church. A specific part of chapter 5 deals with in love matters most. He sort of moves from we should walk in the love and support one another. We should submit one to another, singing psalms, praying, worshiping, encouraging. But then he goes to more detail, and that's the part we're focusing on today. Him walking in love matters. 
in the marriage relationship. Part of the problem in Ephesus was the way men treated women and the way women treated men in marriage. Walking in Christ today is still difficult, and walking in love and marriage is still difficult today. Before we get into specifics about what these problems were in Ephesus and try to apply this today, Paul's teaching is often misunderstood. He's as being a woman hater. But Paul's message is not about hating women. But the controversy always centers around this one word that we have in the, you can read it, it's called submit. That's a difficult word for anybody. Submit. This word is often translated as obey. We most notably see this misunderstanding in the wedding vow exchanges. Where you know the line, I promise to love and obey. Sounds like pig Latin, doesn't it? Obey. This misunderstood word in Greek is called hypotai. Okay, just so you know. And it means to place something below, underneath. It doesn't mean to crush with the heel of your foot to make something submit. The word's made up of two words. One word is taxis, like the word taxi. We get our word taxonomy from it. Taxonomy is the order of arrangement. You probably remember from biology class or something, the taxonomy. We use species, order, class. These are categories. The order arrangement does not mean that one is more important than the other or more powerful than the other or better than the other. It simply means these are different categories. The other part of the word is hypo, like hypodermic, means under, so under order. Use Paul. Paul used it a number of times. It means literally consider yourself a suborder or a subclass, which we can best understand if we put this as put the other person first. Put the other person first. Paul is talking about putting the other first in humility and love, both for men and for women. And this is how Paul ends talking about being filled with the Spirit. You remember last week. Be filled with the Spirit, humbling yourself to another. That is, considering the needs and the desires of the other first. Yeah, it might be like this. Make more deposits than withdrawals. It's a fundamental truth in banking, isn't it? I think we can all agree with that. If you want your money to grow, make more deposits than withdrawals. If you want your love and union to grow, make more deposits than withdrawals. No one likes to bounce a check, so we all make more deposits than withdrawals. So if you want your Make more than withdrawals. Invest your love in the other person rather than demanding it from the other person. Make more investments in humility for the other person rather than demanding that they put your needs first. Paul starts with God's relationship to us. Remember his analogy is God is God of the church and the church is his bride. Who does God say we are? God says we are loved. 
God only makes deposits of love in our lives. God never makes withdrawals. He doesn't demand from us in order to be saved. He never does that. Because of Jesus, God is our love. In Ephesians 3, this love surpasses all our knowledge, meaning we don't know the depth of it, and he'll go to any anything and everything that's necessary to just sustain depositing his love in us. With God, share God's love, making more deposits than withdrawals. In marriage, it is anything obviously is the opposite. Anything an unkept promise, an outright lie, a harsh word, abusive criticism, or even physical abuse. A lot of marriages are in tough shape today because spouses make more withdrawals than they do deposits. They want more out of it than what they want to put into it. Do that long enough, and you become bankrupt. We think that a lot of marriages have it tough these days, but to whom Paul is writing in his world, to the Ephesians. In Jewish homes, women were regarded as possessions. Literally, there was a school of rabbinical teachers that said if your wife didn't salt the food right, you could divorce her. And if Pharisees had no respect for women, every morning they would ritually pray, thank God I'm not a woman. Why? Because they did not consider that women had souls. Can you imagine living in a relationship in marriage like this? Women? In Roman homes, divorce had become epidemic. There are records that show that that it was normal for women to have ten husbands in five years. There's one record of a 23rd husband marrying a 21st wife. Marriage was a mess in Paul's day. Marriage is a mess in our day. Is there any hope? Yes. Make more deposits than withdrawals. Both men and women alike need to make more deposits of love than withdrawals. Women. Paul starts there. Before marriage, you thought your husband was as good as Denzel Washington, as smart as Albert Einstein, as athletic as Michael Jordan, as noble as Ralph Nader, as funny as Woody Allen. But now that you've been married a while, you might rethink that and think that uh, he's probably as good as Woody Allen. As funny as Ralph Nader, as athletic as Albert Einstein, and absolutely nothing like Denzel Washington or Michael Jordan. How can you make deposits than more deposits than withdrawals and something like that? Paul says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Really? Here we want to immediately jump to our misunderstanding of this world, of this word. And, and I guess 
that for many women, when you hear this passage, alarms go off and you feel a knot of dread in your gut because you might think, submit to my husband? Why? I'm more fit to lead our family than he is. If I submit to him, we'll go broke by the end of the month. And all he'll do about about you. Well, you know, we have to admit that in our societies, there are more women who graduate from college than men with higher grade point averages and are more likely than men to go to grad school, advance in the workplace, buy a home, in our increasingly out-earning men, submit sounds kind of strange. But remember, Paul is not writing this firm the role of women or against the Jewish and Roman conduct in the marriage relationship. Paul is not holding these practices of the day. Rather, he's saying to women, instead of a possession, be filled with for yourself and in love, depending on him if he no longer looks like Denzel Washington, but on who you are in Christ. He uses the same word, submit, when he talks about the citizens in relation to government. Citizens submit to government, like Christ submitted to the Father, when it says that Christians are submit to each other, when it says that employees are to submit to Christians are to submit to God. Submission, then, is another word for humility. In the verses just prior to this, we talked about that last week. Here, Paul is using submission exactly in these ways. Wives, consider yourself, hus- consider your husbands above all else in love. Not because your husband is wise, not because he's unselfish, not because he's a wonderful leader, but because God's Holy Spirit lives in you. Just as Christ commands husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church because their wife is loving or easy to live with or beautiful, but because Christ commands it. Wives, when your husbands lead, you make a huge deposit in your marriage because you see at the core of most men is the need, as Paul says at the end, Respect. Why is the passive, self-absorbed, emotionally distant, uninvolved male so stereotypical in our society today? It's because men are afraid they won't be respected. And you can see that on television and in movies now. Men are afraid to be loving, emotionally vulnerable fathers out of fear they won't be respected. That they will appear weak. Why initiate when I'm going to be attacked? Or why stick my neck out when I'm going to lose my head? Why make the first move just to set up myself for failure? Most men are afraid of being criticized, argued with, second-guessed, and rejected. It's the fear of not being respected, not just by wives, but by children in society as well. The father figure and male image today is seen more by fight club violence than by love and humility to gain what they believe is respect. In marriage, then, many men think that if they just passively go along with the flow, their wives will be happy, they'll be respected, there won't be any waves. 
If not respected, we've seen what happens. Physical, emotional abuse, in order to force respect. That's not love. But they won't get respect then, will they? Wives, you can make significant deposits in your marriage by attempting to affirm husbands, encouraging them, being humble with them, and in that way, submitting to them, allowing them perhaps to lead, make the big mistake. That is a win-win. If you think, he will always get his way, it's based on fear. It's based on contention. It's driven by self Look, it says, that's equally contentious and fearful, driven by demand and not love. This fear and dominance are withdrawals that lead to bankruptcy. They're not deposits. Because love involves sacrifice. And humility involves sacrifice. To men, Paul says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ready to die for your wife, guys? Men were never exhorted to love their wives in the, Roman in the Roman world. In the centuries before, Jews as well. It's not found in any texts. No teaching. A wife was not, a husband was not exhorted to love the wife. If Paul had said, husbands rule your wives or control your wives or manipulate your wives, nobody would have given it a second thought because this was the way it was in the day. But Paul says that a Christian husband's primary duty to his wife is just as Christ loved the church. And notice that this command is not followed by, if she loves you. Because Christ initiated his love, he did not wait for our response. And so Paul is saying the same thing. Christian husbands are making the initiative doesn't depend on if the wife loves or not. We were all against Christ, struggling in our own way. He loved, although we, were, we did not respect, but rejected him, tried and tortured him and murdered him. Real love doesn't wait until it's safe. It's vulnerable. Husbands, when you sacrificially love your wife, submitting you to her needs you make a huge deposit in your marriage because at the core, the woman wants to be loved sacrificially. Christ made the huge sacrifice for salvation, but what about your sacrifices for your wife? Often it's small sacrifices, filling the car for gas, which I do not do, eating at her favorite restaurant, time to talk, and listening. How many times do we hear that? Listening, not solving a problem, just listening, right? I fall into it all the time by solving a problem when all Becky wants is just to listen. That's all that's needed. Or perhaps talking about things she's interested in like the Chicago Cubs. But then again, other sacrifices are huge, and I'm sure you have known men who have given up their jobs in order to Stay with a sick wife. We promise to care for our wives until death. 
and kept the promise even when that person may no longer know you, as in the case of Alzheimer's. So in 1996, one of the space shuttles, and the point is this, was grounded because of woodpeckers. Woodpeckers went in and started pecking at the insulation, and it had to be delayed. If you peck the insulation, the foundation long enough, the whole thing just falls down, doesn't it? We want to stop the woodpeckers. We want to stop that pecking away. We want to be motivated to make more deposits. Another example, my cousin is a motivational speaker. He goes to high school campuses throughout the country. His logo is Yogo Whippy. Yogo Whippy. You only get out what you put in. Wives, husbands, you only get out what you put in. Submit to one another's needs. To keep bankrupt, we need to maximize daily deposits. We need to minimize senseless losses and withdrawals so that woodpeckers of selfishness peck away at the foundations and destroy everything. You'll be surprised how quickly your balance grows when we submit to each other in love. Something you can bank on, I think. Amen. If you're interested in knowing more about Jesus Christ or about Grace Lutheran Church, please go to www.gracealoneonline.org.